Blog Talk Radio. This is the Change Book Radio Show, global insight and inspiration for life and business. We're brought to you by the fastest growing personal development book series in the world titled The Change. And I'm your host and voice, Stacey Carnaluti, transformational leader and coach, international best-selling author, and founder of High Powered Success Academy and StaceyC.com, The Power to Be. Welcome to The Change. Hey friends, it's Stacey C. here. Welcome to the Changebook Radio Show again. I just love Wednesdays. It's a day to really wake up and get totally present to what God has for you. And we have got David Webb, and he he wrote this incredible book. I got to read it um, called Some Other Way, and it just moved me so much. It's an amazing leadership book and just a just an inspiring um, story of God's grace and goodness in his life. So I can't wait to um, share this guy's um, work with you. He was born and raised in Alabama. He grew up in a ministry family and served in his father's church in many capacities, from cleaning to managing. He did it all and eventually landed behind the pulpit prior to experiencing his own rock bottom and began the work of overcoming past mistakes and failures. Today, David carries a passionate message of hope and restoration and teaches you how to get free from past mistakes and failures, rebuild your life, and live out God's perfect plan. So welcome, David Webb. We are so happy to have you here today. Thank you, Stacey. This is awesome. I'm happy to be here. What an honor to be a part of your show, and I look forward to our talk and uh, time together today. Cool. Awesome. All right. We are talking about purpose, living a meaningful life. Anyone interested in living a meaningful life of purpose is going to have a rock bottom moment, or some people call it, you know, many dark nights of the soul. And those times literally are catalysts for change. They inspire the world. It truly is our stories that um, hold prophetic power for other people. So before we go into your story, I want to read a little bit of the foreword from Some Other Way. You guys, it's so beautiful. It's written by his wife, Tara. And um, I'm going to start out with her words. I'll never forget the moment my husband, David, looked at me from across the courtroom, hands cuffed, feet shackled, and tears rolling down his cheeks. The shame on his face was indescribable as he mouthed to me, I'm sorry. I desperately wanted to wrap my arms around him in an effort to comfort him and assure him that I was on his side, but the authorities wouldn't let me speak to him. So many questions and fears ran through my mind. I can only imagine what must have been running through his. It was by far the most difficult day I had ever experienced. Fast forward eight months to the day he self-surrendered in Forest City, Arkansas, watching my sweet children tell their dad goodbye just before going to school that day nearly tore my heart out. They had no idea that years would pass before their daddy was home again. Ah, oh, let's go there. Tell us, <laughs> yes. tell us a little bit about that day. I'm sure it was the worst, one of the worst days of your life as well. Um, but let's start from that place. What was that like? Saying goodbye to your family. Uh, it's a very, it's a very real and uh, a very visceral day for me. Um, the emotions of it, uh, I've never lost. Uh, about having to wake up and uh, telling my boys goodbye that morning and then uh, going with my family up to uh, Arkansas where I self-surrendered at uh, Forest City to one of the federal correctional centers uh, located there. And uh, it was a very uh, painful day, 
and it is by far one of the darkest days of my life. Uh, and, you know, from there, uh, things did get uh, worse uh, through some things. But I'm here to say that uh, through these, through, the, through that dark time, uh, through those moments, that uh, uh, things have begun to uh, rise. And I'm just thankful for God's faithfulness in my, in my life. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's, it's just incredible how powerful and how much empathy you now have for the hurting. You know, you went from behind the pulpit to now you just have a, a heart to just bring hope and restoration to people that literally, you know, you describe your rock bottom as just all of these past mistakes and failures just kind of catching up with you, right? And that's something that I think most of us can relate to, but they kind of overtook you. And I think that's what's so powerful about realizing that that, that alone um, is a platform to, to start from, to begin to rebuild your life. So give us a little history. Where, who is David and where did you come from? And- yeah, well, you read, uh, said a little bit about it in the bio. I'm originally from uh, Alabama, and uh, I am uh, 46 years old. And probably for 30-plus years of my life, I've been around or involved in ministry in some shape, form, or fashion. And I grew up in my dad's church. Uh, He was a pastor, uh, still is a pastor, and my family's still heavily involved in ministry. And, you know, when I was 15 or 16 years old, I can remember being up at the church, helping with projects, uh, helping clean the church, uh, vacuuming the floors, cleaning the bathrooms, wiping down the doors, uh, getting ready for Sunday. And uh, from that point, I began to uh, uh, work my way up through the ministry, uh, being an, uh, an office manager, just kind of helping formulate some of the office uh, policies and procedures. Uh, I got a degree uh, in accounting when I went to college. So at that point, I did some things for the accounting department and uh, some of the, uh, the financial side of ministry. And then from there, uh, I became uh, one of the associate pastors that dealt with different areas of the ministry. Uh, at that time, became youth pastor, and then from there became executive pastor. And was really on the uh, 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 the path of at one point uh, stepping in and and um, um, uh, you know becoming the pastor at some later point down the road. But uh, that came to a screeching halt uh, in January of 2009. Uh, mm-hmm. I would love to sit here and say that I could uh, say that this is what it was due to. But as I look back over the course of my life, I recognize that it started really one step at a time, and uh, mm-hmm. it started it with one poor decision at a time. And then in this instance, there's a very powerful story in the Bible over in the book of Judges uh, about a man named Samson. Uh, Samson, I hope that uh, many are familiar with him, but Samson's accomplishments in the Word of God are legendary. But the other side of that is, is so, is, so, is, so are his weaknesses. He had so much mm-hmm. God-given potential, yet time and time again, he, he just made bad decisions. And in the end, he self-destructed. And this is the way that I would characterize him, is that Samson was an incredibly strong man, but he had a dangerously weak will. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, he had all this God-given potential, but his weak will got him in trouble over and over and over again. And so it was the same in my life. Samson, you know, at times he betrayed God. Uh, for a handful of honey, if you read the story, uh, the account of his life, he went into he, he he was known for having uncontrollable fits of anger. He was emotionally driven, not spirit led, and that's a key decision uh, or a key uh, a key in all of it is that a lot of times we make choices based on our emotions, and most of the time that does not lead to a good spot. And uh, 
There are times he went through a moment where he unrighteously killed 30 men for a bet that he lost. And then there are times where he pursued the wrong kind of woman, and his lust for women got him in trouble over and over and over again. And I say all that to say that you, you, you take all that, it sounds like Samson is a lot like us. He mm-hmm. had all this potential, but he squandered it away with stupid living. Now, just yeah. put that in today's world. Uh, you've got, you've got uh, men and women who are committed to work. They're committed to their finances. They're committed to a hobby or a gym, but they can't commit to the home life. They can't commit mm-hmm. to a woman. Uh, you may have it where you've got a type A uh, personality at work, but you're passive at home. There's guys and there's people who may spend three hours researching what they want to buy on the Internet, but they don't take five minutes to study the Word of God or to better themselves. Mm-hmm. And then you've got people out there who truly do. They love God. They love their wife, uh, but they become trapped in a prison of lust, and in the end they just get too afraid to ask for help. And once again, mm-hmm. we see this in Samson's life that there were three specific attitudes that made that strong man very weak, and so it was in my life as well. And they were lust, entitlement, and pride. And if I can, just real briefly, uh, lust lust is simply when you tell yourself, I want it. This mm-hmm. is what I want. I want this. I want that. Entitlement is simply when you take on the attitude of, I deserve it. And then mm-hmm. pride is when you, you consistently tell yourself that I can handle it. And mm-hmm. The reason that story means so much to me is because it's just it, it was a pattern for where I found myself is that Samson didn't ruin his life all at once. He ruined it one step at a time, and wow. he found himself at the very end of his life standing before 3,000 people with his hand between the uh, pillars. They were mocking him and ridiculing him, and that's what lust, entitlement, and pride did to that man who should have made a difference in the world. And that's why it can be so much worse in our own life, Stacey. Yeah. Uh, you know, we may never find ourselves in front of 3,000 people with our hands between the pillars being made fun of, but it can get worse in that uh, a failed marriage, uh, when you realize that it, it may have truly been your own fault of why the marriage failed, or maybe you have kids who don't want to be in your presence, or maybe your private life becomes very public, and that's what, mine, that's what happened with mine. Uh, as I found myself on the worst day of my life in that, in that rock bottom moment. Now, to address the, uh, specific, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the question, I'll end it with this. You were asking uh, what led to my incarceration. Uh, the nature of my offense was a sex offense. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so there it is. Your private life becomes public, and bam, that's it. Yes. That's- a humbling moment, right? Where everything, yes. you know, perspective comes really quickly in that moment. I love, I love this. I mean, we could hang up right now and listeners, you have just been given such truth bombs that literally if you, if you did nothing more than listen to this over and over and over again, you could be <laughs> free for a lifetime. You guys like lust, entitlement and pride. Can we just, Stop and and look at the many ways you know in our day how those three things begin to rule and reign and when if we can just step into a higher level of awareness and begin to recognize when I'm in a lustful place when I'm in a place of entitlement where I believe I deserve something more than hell you know um, 
it's just crazy. It's so crazy. And to think that we can do it without the help of a, you know, um, supernatural power, the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the grace, the ability to live a life that's in alignment with the truth that keeps us free. So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing um, so openly and, and vulnerably. It's just um, very, very powerful. Very, very powerful. Your work. It is. is uh, um, there comes a time where you have. There comes a. T- there comes a time where you just have to take ownership uh, yeah. of all your uh, decisions, of all your choices, and uh, that's why I say that I would love to say that you know uh, this is what led to it. But really, as I go back throughout my life, it's uh, it's moments that I had to that I did not make the right decisions when I was faced with the temptations of lust, entitlement, and pride that ultimately mm-hmm. led uh, led to my rock bottom moment. And, um, um, but that's why I'm so thankful that God opened his word up to me, uh, in a way that I'd never seen it before while I was incarcerated, surrounded by other people who were, uh, you know, for many of them continuing to make wrong choices, continuing to make wrong decisions. And then there were the ones who were trying to better their lives, trying to come up out of this pit, trying to come up out of their rock bottom moment. And I'm happy to say, and so thankful that God showed me how to climb out of mine. Yeah. Yeah. So listeners, um, so this is what David does. And this book is called Some Other Way. And we'll talk about the title in just a minute. But but that is your work is helping people acknowledge, you know, get honest. That's the beginning of it all. Just to own it, you know, to recognize where you're at and then to be willing to um, listen and to follow and to heed and to hear um, because he is so there. He's the way out. He's the truth that frees, and he's the life that we really are wired for. So tell us about the title, Some Other Way. I love that. Where'd that come from? Some Other Way, uh, yeah, it's based off of uh, John 10, um, John 10, 1. And that, that verse actually says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. And so uh, that's that's real indicative of the way that I, uh, I led my life until the Lord showed me how to rebuild it, uh, was some other way over in John chapter 14, verse six, it, Jesus declares of himself that I am the way that I am the truth and I am the life. Any man that mm-hmm. comes into the father, uh, no man can come unto the father, but by me. And, uh, the reason I share that verse is because Jesus in that first part of the section he identifies three characteristics and attributes of who he is. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And then he goes on to say, no man cometh unto the Father but by Jesus, where he identifies himself as but by me. Well, if you mm-hmm. take those three attributes uh, of who he identifies himself in and plug those in, I think it reads in a very powerful way where it says, no man comes unto the Father but by the way, the truth, and the life. And if we're going to experience uh, all that God, if we're going to experience all that God has for us, the fullness of it, we're going to have to we're going to have to walk in the path that He has set for us. And that is totally where I got off, even as a teenager, uh, in my twenties, in my thirties, and um, um, I was living life some other way. There was uh, things I was wanting to do with my life. I was wanting to go in a certain direction, but I was never bold enough uh, to follow my own heart. And as a result of it, it led me astray, and um, I'm thankful that the Lord showed me these things and it's helped put me on the path of where I'm at now, and that is living for him the way, the truth, and the life. Mm. 
Amen. And it's so personal. It is. When you say to honor your heart, it's like he gives you a new heart. And, and being able to really listen and, and, and honor the way that he made you, you know, we weren't, yeah. I don't believe that we were made to be like anybody else. We're not made to fit in. There's nothing about us that was made to fit in. We have such a unique place um, to, to live and serve in the body. You know, it's so unique and so different, so individualized. So, you know, being able to honor that takes courage and boldness and confidence. And he is all of that. So I love it. I love it. Yes. Yes. So beautiful. I believe that to live you, your life, I believe to live your life in any other way than what Jesus has for your life is really to rob yourself the greatest adventure you could ever live. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. I had a friend call me this morning. She's like, but how? She was doing her first radio show today. How? how? I said, you know, the how is holy. <laughs> we don't right. always get to right. know the how. Like, you got to be willing to step out of the boat and just just know that the next step is going to show up when you need it. And that's about it. It takes a lot of courage um, and faith to be able to live that life of adventure. It really is adventurous for sure. Yes. Um, that's what he You wants. have a Yeah, yeah, totally trusting in him um the ten, the kids you have two boys 17 and 15 so i'm curious and your wife of how many years how, how long have you been married uh 26 years cool so you made it through all of this for you were gone for four years was it in prison uh four years four months yeah uh, during some pretty formative years i mean your boys were kind of right in the middle of it all so um uh, you know, full restoration. That's just so beautiful. You went from prison to this beautiful, prosperous, free life. Um, your sons are amazing. They're they're just wonderful, Thank and you. your your wife is amazing. Um, but t- tell us a little bit about how you have brought them into this place of you know they're entering into like young adulthood. So they're moving into that place of really recognizing who God has created them to be and the work that they are going to be um, contributing in the world. So how have you led them to be able to listen to their heart? Well, follow it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, first and foremost, simply by, by the word over in Proverbs, it talks about train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, I find that very interesting in the way that it's worded uh, because Tara for Tara and I, we, we do our, our, our relationship is centered around Jesus centered around the word of God. Uh, most of our mornings start off uh, with both of us doing a devotion, uh, sometimes together, sometimes on our own. And so, you know, we, we endeavor to live that life in front of them. But the reason mm-hmm. I brought that scripture up is because, once again, just like I have a way that Jesus has prepared for me, for Tara and I, we recognize that there, are, there is a calling and gifts and a way for each and every one of our sons, and we never want to stand in the way of that. And uh, we certainly don't want to live vicariously through them. And so we do our best to continue to point them to Jesus, uh, point them to uh, being a part of the church, the importance of serving, uh, the importance of just, you know, centering your life around him. And uh, I'm happy to say that uh, they, they do those things. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, they're teenagers. Uh, from time to time, we have to deal with attitude. We have to deal with, uh, uh, you know, sarcasm and moments that we really have to work through. But we're thankful that their lives are centered around Jesus. And the importance of that is this. is once again over in Proverbs where it talks about train up a child in the way he should go. When, when he is old, 
he will not depart. Notice it didn't say that he would not detour. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a difference between detouring and departing. If you <laughs> depart somewhere, a lot of times you, you, you anticipate of never going back there or extending your stay somewhere to where it's a while before you ever go back. Now, when you yeah. make a detour, most of the time you don't mean to get off track. You don't mean to miss it, so you're looking for a way to get back on track. And yeah. so what, what, we, what we've centered on is, is we don't want them to depart. We certainly don't want them to detour, but we understand that sometimes you just get caught up in the temptations and the trials and detours happen. What we're agreeing God, uh, God for is that there's never a departure. Mm, so good. So good. I think about that, you know, the way that he should go, like according to his bent, according to his makeup, according to his design. Each one of us has a very um, a bent, a way, you know, that we are made to go. And we have to discover that what that is. And we don't always know exactly. So we take little rabbit, you know, trails, little. <laughs> right. Get a little For off sure. course sometimes. But, um, yeah, coming back to the part, I, I think about the word depart and how that really means like a, a falling away, or like a separating from. Um, You're exactly the, right. Yeah, it's just so powerful. So good. Yep. Ah. So um, the book has 10 steps, you guys. This is so, um, so powerful about rebuilding your life and about leading others. I mean, we always look at this stuff as like extremely like stellar leadership material. Um, step one is come to yourself. So let's talk a little bit about that. What does that mean to come to yourself? I love that. Well, that's basically where you, uh, you have to look at yourself in the mirror. And mm-hmm. Let me preface it by saying this. When, when I was in prison, you know, every morning when I woke up, my life literally was in a, uh, uh, a small cabinet. Uh, everything that I had to make it through the day was wrapped up in that one cabinet and uh, uh, that one locker, uh, the clothes, any food that I had, uh, any uh, toiletries, any of that kind of stuff. How, how my day went. Uh, what I did that day was in one sense predetermined by everything that was in that locker. Uh, I had lost so much. I'd lost my house, uh, almost lost my marriage, uh, could have easily lost my kids. Uh, I definitely had lost my relationship with God. Uh, I mean, I lost my job. Uh, I lost opportunities in ministry. So I lost quite a bit and uh, uh, was on the verge of having to file bankruptcy. And so things had gotten really bad. And one of the things that really began my transformation, uh, really began my uh, uh, rebuilding, was I was I was uh, 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 when I when I first self surrendered in Far City, Arkansas. Uh, when I was put onto the compound, I was given an assignment to one dorm, and you know through there uh, there are different dorms on the compound, and there's ultimately an, an what I would call an honor dorm. Well, eventually, because of good behavior and some things like that, I had worked my way over to the honor dorm. And when I got in there is really when I began to see people who were interested in making life changes, positive life changes. Mm. And so we would talk. We would read books. We would share with one another. And I came across a quote that uh, was very meaningful to me. And ultimately, or I'll put it like this, it basically says this. It says, no one rebuilds on what they lost. Rebuilding begins when I appreciate what I have left. My destiny Mm. 
is never tied to that which I lost, but always connected to that which remains. In prison, what alone remains is the last of my human freedoms, and it's the ability to choose my attitude in a given set of circumstances. Yeah. And so that's where that's, – that's the catalyst for God opening up his word to me unlike ever before because I recognized that I couldn't rebuild my life on what I'd lost. I'd lost good stuff. I'd lost good friends. But I couldn't rebuild on any of that. I could only rebuild on what remained. And what remained was the foundation that my parents had given me. And from there, the Lord began to open up the book of Nehemiah, and uh, that's where we come to these ten steps. And a part of it was also the foundation that I had was understanding that regret or guilt or condemnation has no foundation. You can't build Mm. anything on regret. You can't build anything on guilt. You can't build anything on condemnation. You have to rebuild it on the on the firm foundation, and that's where those ten steps begin to come in. And you mentioned the first one, and I'll say this about it. Basically, it's the time you look yourself in the mirror and just basically ask the question, who I am? Uh, who, who do I want to be? So many times we talk about, well, this is what I want to do, and we let that drive our decisions when really – we need to be deciding who we want to be. That way it will drive better decisions in our life. Yeah. Oh, so good. No foundation on regret. It's so, so good. I, um, you know, I study and write about the dissonance, the gap between who we truly are designed to be, who God created us to be, and the person that we're being every day. And that, that yeah. gap <laughs> That, that dissonance is the pain and the suffering that we alone, yes. you know, that's our self-imposed captivity. That's the, the prison, you know, the um, modern-day slavery that we really, um, we bring upon ourselves. And I just, um, I love that, you know, getting very clear that I can't build anything on that which has no foundation. And the Word of God is, it endures. It stands. No matter what, we always have that. We have truth to stand on, so it's just beautiful. Excuse me. <laughs> Forgot to turn my ring off. All right, step number two. <laughs> step number two. Oh, my gosh. This is so yummy. Um, we're just going to kind of skim through these because they're just so powerful. Sure. Okay, so after we get honest and we look ourselves in the mirror and we say, who are you being? Um, we yes. turn to people of covenant and mercy. I just love this. So um, step number two. Tell us about that. Yeah, after we, after we have that, uh, you know, rock bottom moment, and they look different for everybody. I mean, for somebody, you know, prison itself, it doesn't have to be a rock bottom moment. I know, I know people who actually, uh, um, you know, they actually, uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but there were some people who actually got a kick out of being incarcerated simply because it relieved them from the anxieties and the worries of society. And uh, uh, the best way I know how to put that. But, uh, you know, a failed marriage can be a rock-bottom moment, bankruptcy, uh, a failed career, uh, you know, the loss of a loved one. Uh, Prison itself, while it is a rock-bottom moment, it truly was for me, is not the only ones out there. And so in that come-to-yourself moment, uh, when you decide who you want to be, you've got to look in yourself in the mirror and decide that, you know, the way that it is uh, is not the way that you want it to be. And so yeah. that's, you, you just have to get real real with yourself. Now, that's, that's a personal 
one-on-one look yourself in the mirror moment. There's nobody else who can help you do that. You can have people saying you need to change, you should change, but until you look at yourself in the mirror and decide that you know uh, you want it more than you're afraid of it, uh, it, it, you truly haven't hit rock bottom yet. And so from yeah. there, after you've had that one-on-one conversation with yourself, I believe the next step is many times is to turn to people of covenant and mercy. And what I would say about this, and I'll try to make these points real brief about all these steps, is that there's a difference. Uh, uh, well, in, in the instance of the prodigal son uh, in, in the story of the Bible over in uh, uh, Luke, uh, it talks about how the, you know, the prodigal son, he had asked the father for his inheritance. The father had given him that inheritance. The prodigal son left his father's house, went and squandered it away. And uh, uh, the Bible makes a very interesting uh, – or talks about an interesting phrase there that even while he, waste, uh, while he spent all that, a famine came on him. It talks about how he had wasted his life away and was in that wasting of his talent, of his calling and gift that he had that come-to-himself moment. And then he thought, you know, hey, even my father's servant have it better than this. I'm going to arise and go talk to him. And that's why I say – Mercy. There's a difference between love and mercy. Uh, my my boys, my two sons, uh, probably the same for for any parent. Uh, my two sons do not have to ask me to love them. That is already programmed within me. But just mm-hmm. like when I miss it, when I go to my parents, I know that they always love me. But I have to ask for mercy, and that's that's the point I'm trying to make in that step number two. Is that in times of mercy, you have to be you have to be strong enough to get up. And go ask for it. Oh, that's good. That's good. There has to be some confirmation of a belief, right? Yes. Yeah, that's so good. All right, count the cost. Step number three, count the cost. Count the cost uh, is simply, you know, after you've had that conversation with yourself and with others and uh, ask for mercy, uh, and you've got people surrounding you with, you know, being, a help you, being able to help you get on your way. Uh, count the cost is just recognizing that while rebuilding, and this is this is a phrase that really rang true for me during my incarceration and during my rebuild. And the Bible talks about it over in Nehemiah, I believe it's chapter two, around verse 18, where Nehemiah said that when he took on the work of rebuilding, he knew that it was going to be a good work. And that's something mm-hmm. that you've got to declare. I believe you have to declare, and I continue to declare uh, even today. That my rebuilding, because I'm still rebuilding. I've rebuilt parts of my life, but there are still parts that I am rebuilding. That rebuilding is a good work, and uh, but it's going to cost you something to be who you want to be. And yeah. you can't count the pat, you can't count the cost based on past past actions, but future choices that you're going to have to make along the way to uh, uh, be who God's called you to be. Mm. So, so important. There needs to be an investment. There needs to be something yeah. that will just give evidence of our commitment to the work. It's so true. That's so good. Yes. Um, you, like me, are a visionary. I, I really get that. Without a vision, we perish. We, we don't have any reason to keep going. <laughs> I, um, I love that. I love that God shows us things to come, great and mighty things that we don't know. So, um, yeah, casting the vision, that's step number four. So very important. Um, what do you see right now for your future? Where, what's your vision right now? Uh, to continue to help people um, just, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, with, 
who may be experiencing rock bottom moments. And mm-hmm. there's there's still things that I have to work through uh, concerning my future, concerning uh, just where I ultimately see myself, what it is that I want to put my hand to. Uh, but ultimately, it's just uh, being being uh, being able to help people who may be experiencing rock bottom moments. And that's yeah. the importance, I believe, of step number four of casting the vision. We know what Habakkuk two two says about mm-hmm. writing the vision and make it plain upon table, so he that he that readeth it may run with it. And the reason I believe vision is so important, and I believe that it's termed that, is for a reason. Because when it comes to rebuilding, we have to learn to replace the memories with vision. Because oh, the Bible so says that we run with vision and not the memories. I'm yeah. thankful for my memories. I'm thankful for the experiences that I've had that I can recall the times with my wife, the times with my son, the times with my family. Um, but then there's, you know, there's moments I would rather choose to forget. But in mm-hmm. the end, you've got to run with the vision and not the memories uh, in order to attain, once again, what God has for you. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Memories just slow you down. I think about like how the vision makes you run. I mean, it goes both ways, you know, people that run have vision, but also people that are having a hard time running. (laughs) If you get a vision, that'll help you run. We have grace for the race. We we don't need the grace without the race. It's so good. Um, Okay. Strengthen your hands. Step number five, strengthen your hands. Yeah. I think that uh, people need to understand that the intensity of the spirit in which you live your life, is directly tied to your success in life. And what, I, what, what that means to me, uh, once again, that is a phrase found in the book of Nehemiah, that there came a time where the people, once again, Nehemiah is the book about uh, the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. The walls had fallen down. Uh, the children of Israel were uh, in captivity uh, at that time, and it was reported to Nehemiah, the one who uh, the book is named after, uh, that his people were suffering, that the walls of Jerusalem were des- desolate, they were barren, they were in ruins. And so he takes the leadership role of bringing the people together and building the walls back up so that the people could serve God and uh, spend time with God like, uh, like they desired to. And so mm-hmm. there came a portion where they had to strengthen their hands, and that really ties in back with vision again. And there came a time where... Uh, you know, before, you know, when when I uh, uh, when we moved out here to California, uh, we uh, we ended up on a piece of property that has a small vineyard. And uh, when we first got the uh, uh, when we first got the property, the vineyard was in very very bad shape. Now my wife is living here. Uh, I'm incarcerated, but she began to show me pictures of of the vineyard and how poor shape that it was in. But something in me just went off, and I, I wanted to do something where that vineyard was concerned and bring it back to life. Well, here I am incarcerated. I can't do anything in the natural. And so what I had, uh, what, I, what we did is books were sent to me concerning how to maintain a vineyard. And from that, I began to strengthen my hands with the knowledge, the, the wherewithal to know what to do in certain situations, how to bring it back to life, so that when I was able to actually put my hands to it, I was able to bring it back to life, and I'm thankful to say that that's what I've done, and that's what strengthening your hands means to me. Ah, oh, that's cool. So good. I know why why the word hands. You know, I was thinking about that. Strengthen your not your body, but your your hands. It's like um, this this the work that we need to be doing. The little little. It sounds it seems little sometimes, but like you said, collecting you know knowledge, reading up on things, and and gathering. Right. And, and, 
order to reap. So good. Um, okay, and then arise and build. Whoo. Step seven. Yes, arise and build. Do what? Step seven. Arise and build. Yes. Yeah. Arise and build. Uh, that's that's the part where you're actually putting your hands to it. Uh, okay. That's the time where, uh, you know, whatever part that uh, your rock bottom moment, whatever arena of your life you may be experiencing is when you arise and begin to rebuild it. And it's going to take an eclectic group of people. Sometimes it may, it may take an eclectic group of people to help you fulfill that. But uh, that's what that chapter covers is about uh, there were different gates uh, in portions of the city that they were rebuilding. And the Lord showed me that those gates represented different areas of my life. And uh, we don't have enough time to definitely spend on each of those. So all, all I would say there is, is that those gates represent different arenas of my life. And I had to do a complete rebuild of my life. And I had to uh, take those steps God was giving me. And, uh, but I had to get up and arise and begin yeah. to put my hand to it. Yeah. doesn't matter how you feel, people. you got to arise. That's right. Why, why did you say eclectic? Why eclectic uh, Well, I mean, because so many times we try to draw on from that which we're familiar with. But in the oh. book of Nehemiah, you know, from the book of Nehemiah, what you see is not just, you know, contractors. It's not mm-hmm. just builders. You see women. You see children. You see priests. Uh, you know, you see pastors. You see businessmen. Uh, you actually see uh, uh, people like that from different areas of life that have come together to help rebuild. And that's why, you know, so many times it's more than me just finding one person who can help me rebuild. Uh, I have mentors in my life. I have business mentors that I, that I talk to uh, on a regular basis. Uh, I have pastor. Uh, I have, you know, my family. I have different people that I'm able to draw from concerning the different areas of my life. So that's why I say, uh, many times, you know, as we go about rebuilding, it's not just us and, and one more necessarily. It uh, it takes an eclectic group of people many times to help a true rebuild. Yeah. Oh, that's such an important point. Oh, my gosh. We can just really get, um, you know, comfortable with the people in our life. And, and we're being called to, like, reach out beyond our familiar, you know, our family, right? Reach out to those yes, who yes. might yes. be totally different than us. All right, step number eight, set a watch. I love this. Set a watch. Uh, we uh, we uh, uh, skipped over step number six, which was brace for the haters. Uh, and that, uh. kind of, that kind of ties in. <laughs> that kind of ties in. Oh, no problem, no problem. Uh, it, set, it, it ties in with set a watch. And if I could just real quick say uh, step number six, brace for the haters. Uh, that's so something good. that I really had to learn. Uh, because I was one of these guys where I, I wanted everyone to like me. I wanted to be likable. And so I did whatever, you know, kept the peace. But I've learned this, that if everyone likes you, then ultimately you're doing something wrong uh, yeah. because you can't please everybody. Uh, haters, the ultimate purpose for haters is to get you to step away from God's plan because mm-hmm. this is exactly what you see in Nehemiah. Nehemiah, when he began rebuilding there were enemies, enemy nations that came against him in order to stop the work of rebuilding. And that's an important step that people need to understand, regardless of what arena in your life you may re- be rebuilding. Uh, there's going to be haters that come out of the woodwork. It could mm-hmm. be family members. It could be uh, society. It could be friends. 
But in some form or fashion, if you're doing anything monumental or positive in your life, you're going to draw haters out. And the thing that I, one of the coolest things I think I saw in all of this is that the further you get in your uh, rebuild, the more progress you make, the more haters you're going to draw out. And so that's mm-hmm. why in that moment you really need to understand that that's a part of rebuilding, but you need to steal yourself for that moment. And that ties into number eight, set a watch, because um, um, you've got to recognize that your self-talk is more important than your competition's talk. And the enemy is going to declare and say some things against you. You need to have the mindset that what you've started and what you're saying yourself outweighs what the enemy is saying about you. Yeah, so good. So good. We can look at the haters and and say, oh, thank you for helping me, you know, reminding me (laughs) of who I am and where I'm going, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, that's so good. And the watch is like a watch over our mouth is what the Bible refers to. That's, that's really paying attention to what you're thinking and what you're saying. And, um, man, rejecting every limiting thought and illusion. It's important. Yes. Yep. So good. Step number nine, consecrate, separate, and dedicate. I love that. Tell us yeah, about that's that. just, uh, uh, as we tie this up, it's, it's just, I mean, as we come to the conclusion of the rebuilding, that's just, after the rebuild has taken place, uh, that's the point that I've gotten to in some of the arenas of my life. Uh, I look back over it, and, you know, whether it was my health, whether it was my uh, finances, whether it was my marriage, as I knew that I had rebuilt things to a position where I could move forward with without any guilt or condemnation or uh, having to prop anything up, that's where I came uh, to my family or I came to God and said, Lord, you know, uh, uh, I thank you for what you've done in my life, and I'm letting you know that moving forward, I'm consecrating this arena. I'm consecrating my life. I'm consecrating this goal to you. I'm separating myself from all that uh, the temptation that, uh, uh, that uh, tried to uh, lure me or cause me to stray, and I'm dedicating my life to you. Mm, so good. You know, I um... – as a fitness instructor my whole life, you know, people come to me and think that I'm so disciplined. Well, how do you get the discipline? You're so disciplined. Your motivation never, ever wanes, you know, but I I don't, I don't see myself as disciplined. Like that's not what drives me. And I realized um, in having to really explore all of these motivations, what is it that gets me up and out every day? But it's a devotion. It is such a deep deep down devotion, you know, to the things yeah. that really matter to me. And that's what you're talking about, really setting yourself apart to be used for the purposes of God, knowing that that's why I'm here. You know, there is no fulfillment yeah. or meaningful impact apart from that. And there's so much power and grace in that place. So I love that you that you included that in this step. And the last one is so very, very important about how, you know, the enemy wants to come in and, and rip us off and steal and kill and destroy all that we've worked so hard to get. So talk a little bit about redeem the rewards. Step well, after 10. you've come through steps one through nine, uh, after you've come through those steps, you know, you, you've put in a lot of work. Uh, you've, you've definitely, uh, you know, gotten, you know, um, down to it, you put a lot of sweat equity into it, a lot of emotional equity uh, into it, spiritual equity. And so, you know, there comes a time when you've done all this, uh, when God, when God, uh, you know, God is a God of second chances. And as he's given us that, he wants us to know that it's not just a break-even point 
of, hey, I'm giving you another chance, you know, it's break even. It's, it's along the lines of, okay, uh, what's happened has happened. What's over is over. Now comes next. And next mm-hmm. all involves growth. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to continue to grow, not just come to a standstill, but continue to grow. And that's what Redeem the Rewards is all about. So many times when people go through steps one through nine, they, they feel unworthy to redeem the rewards of the rebuild that is taking place in their life. But people need to recognize, because you see it all throughout the, word of, uh, the book of Nehemiah, we're not just talking about one or two rewards for having rebuilt. We're talking multiple if not close to 10, that the Lord showed me uh, rewards that are there to redeem. And uh, uh-huh. many of them uh, is that uh, some of them are that your life uh, will be distinguished from what once was. So how people may have viewed you uh, years ago uh, as a result of rebuild, those people will have, to, will have to admit that your life reads differently now. And then there's also the understanding that your rebuilding could actually affect a future generation. And uh, that's something that we see within the Word of God, how even when Nehemiah uh, uh, rebuilt the city of Jerusalem, it actually – the rebuilding at that time in the history of Israel uh, actually became a catalyst for one of the miracles that Jesus performed in his earthly ministry. While hundreds of years passed between that time – because Nehemiah chose to rebuild, it, 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 it uh, gave Jesus an opportunity to perform a miracle for a uh, crippled man. Mm. Oh, it matters. It just matters. It's so amazing. I yeah. love this, you guys. This book is so beautiful. Some Other Way by David Webb. And um, you can get it at Webb Ministries. And I posted the links on the blog talk um, the show post, but web w e b b ministries dot org slash product, and you can also contact David for speaking and um, whatever else, just to inquire. Um, he's just a wealth of of blessing and and ready contribution. So you are you are ready to fly. I love it. I want to end with um, a poem. I'm not going to say the whole poem, but while. David was in prison. A another inmate wrote a poem, and he said he was going to put it in a book. And I, I just love it's at the very back, and it says, "I'm not just a number," is what it's called. As the heavy steel door slammed behind, the sins which brought him here flashed through his mind. He was issued a number to use as a name, and was given a uniform, so each looked the same. And I just want to tell the listeners, you are so not a number. Your name. Your name is great in in the earth, and and there's so much purpose um, in your being, you know, Um, just woven, knitted into your being. And I I just pray for each and every one listening that you would muster up the courage to look yourself in the eye and look into the mirror and, and notice where you're at and ask yourself, who am I being and who am I truly designed and destined to be here? And let this book inspire you. Get the book. Reach out. Um, there's just so much help and support there for people that are ready to rise up and, and really do the work of rebuilding. So I hope that you were encouraged by the show today. And thank you, David, for being here. It was awesome. Thank you so much. I had a great time. Uh, you're a wonderful host, excited of what God is doing in your life. And I appreciate you allowing, giving me the opportunity to share my testimony, what God's done in me. And uh, uh, thank you again.
Yeah, you're so welcome. So welcome. And listeners, don't forget to reach out if you are ready for um, coaching or ready to be published. We've got a new change book. We're kind of um, relaunching the change book series. It's the fastest growing personal development series in the world. We have 16 books out and we are getting uh, ramped up to release book 17. So if you're interested in getting your story published or amplifying your voice on the radio show, reach out to me as well. And until next Wednesday, don't forget to be the change and the magic that you're hoping to see in the world. Love you so much. See you next time. Peace out. Bye, David. Bye, Stacey. Thank you. Yep, you're welcome.